Welcome, Gasheads, to this episode of Gascast. I'm your host, Tom Metcalf, and joining me today are Sam Frost, the Rovers reporter from Bristol Live, and our very own Jack Newcomb. Welcome, lads. How you doing, you right? Yeah, we're good. How are you, Frosty? Thanks for having me. More than welcome. Um, If you've been floored by the news today... Very good, Mets. Very good. Then you'll be interested to hear about our sponsor, Kahuna Flooring, who supply and fit all types of flooring for your home or workplace. Steve comes to you with a sample selection service and offers deals on supplied and fitted carpets, vinyls, LVT, such as Candine Amtico, excuse me, engineered wood and more. Get in touch with Steve today on 07917 and mention GasCast to receive 10% off all orders. So the big news today, of course, is League One, League One clubs have voted to end the season on an unwinted points-per-game basis. This puts the gas a solid 14th mid-table obscurity. Good work, um, work Garner. Yeah, <laughs> solid work. Uh, Sam, how have we got to this point? Okay, so, of course, uh, it's been going on for almost three months now since Rovers last played a game. I think it's three months tomorrow, actually, that they destroyed Sunderland's promotion hopes. Um, of course, they missed out on a on a playoff spot just on points per game. And if they got a result, then that day they might have actually... Uh, I think it's so nice to sort of Seeds. break some hearts. Yeah, yeah. shame there's no Sunderland until I die for this, for this current season. But never mind. <laughs> um, so, yeah, three months on from there, there's been lots of back and forth and... Um, uh, complaining and threats and things like that from different clubs. We got to a point in the last couple of weeks where obviously the growing consensus was to end the season. The financials make far too much sense to end the season for a vast, well, a vast number of clubs because most are consigned to their fate in a certain way and turkeys don't vote for Christmas. You know, if you're in the playoff places, you're probably thinking we'll take a playoff place and we'll, you know, we'll, we won't sort of push for the restart. So we've had these sort of proposals proposals put forward obviously Tranmere went for the they wanted a march I do think actually had some merit to it although a little bit complicated and perhaps came a little bit late in the day um, and then a few other things obviously Barnsley and the championship wanted to scrap relegation altogether um, but the EFL sort of come out I guess two weeks ago a week or so ago um, saying you know we're going to eventually get things moving on this and start putting some votes together uh, they get the papers there was a few sort of agreements last week on some frameworks for the voting they got the papers a day later than they should have. I think they got them on Wednesday when they should have got them on Tuesday. It meant that the vote was today, not yesterday. But um, as, as expected, um, first of all, the entire EFL, 71 clubs, they needed to have a majority vote in total and also a majority of championship clubs. I think they have a sort of a, a bigger say, obviously due to their financials, I guess, um, to agree a framework on ending the season, which was, of course, the, the unweighted PPG, which then throws out the Tramir proposal and other things like scrapping relegation and promotion altogether. So uh, that vote goes through this morning. Uh, apparently, it's an overwhelming majority of, of, of clubs both meet, meeting both criteria. There's a majority in the championship and across the EFL as a whole. So then they proceed to these two votes this afternoon. Uh, League Two had obviously already agreed to end their season, but there was no sort of framework in place for that. So that goes through um, finally, um, sort of two or three weeks on from when they first agreed that. That sees what Crew, um, Swindon, and Plymouth promoted, uh, and it looks like well, Stevenage are occupying the relegation place, but we'll see what happens with that because Macclesfield have got a charge facing them for uh, not paying their players again. Um, 
and then League One vote follows sort of an hour or two after that. Where, um, yeah, I think the f- from what I hear, it, it's nineteen to four, but possibly eighteen to four. The four clubs that definitely voted against were Sunderland, Peterborough, Tranmere, and Ipswich Town. But there is some rumor that um, I saw Alan Nixon from the Sun saying that apparently only eighteen clubs voted for because. One couldn't get their internet connection to work. Definitely Rovers. We, we, we advertised <laughs> for someone with IT skills, and I don't think we uh, filled that position. So definitely. Right. Yeah. yeah. So that's quite that's quite entertaining, but obviously um, insignificant in the end because of um, that's such an overwhelming majority. Um, we'd obviously been sort of our understanding earlier in the piece, sort of two three weeks ago, when there was, you know, we did a cumulative piece with all the League One writers across the country about what sort of the what their clubs were leaning to do. And at the time, as Martin Starnes was sort of reflected in his uh, letter to fans today, that Rovers were keen on playing. But I think as they've got down to the nitty gritty, they've seen that the benefits, which would be, you know, some free hit games for Ben Garner and players to, you know, figure out the squad. As time's ticked away, they've realised the costs. They've realised that there's very little chance they could have finished the League One season by July 31st, which is when um, contract severance pay ends. So the contract's due to end at the end of this month and then players get a month of severance pay um, and they were sort of hoping that players would pay that month when they're technically out of contract but still being paid. Um, but as soon as, that hap- as soon as you go beyond July 31st, there's no money and why are players going to risk their sort of livelihoods and futures for, for, for no gain? So yeah. I think sort of there has been a prevailing of, of common sense um, far too much I think was invested in the season to just null and void there had to be something because there's only eight or nine games left to go so I think eventually some common sense has been sort of reached but it has taken the EFL a long time to get to this point yeah and you can understand for teams that have missed out you know maybe not so much Sunderland and Ipswich but definitely Posh who were at the They're moment the sixth place, yeah. and yeah got, kind of got dumped out and you, you do feel from a bit but um, yeah I mean it, it had Wickham, to end some way. Obviously, other than the ones that are automatically promoted, Wickham absolutely gained the most out of this this situation, don't they? Wickham oh. jumped from eighth to third, and it's you can't you can't complain against them voting for that. Of course, that's in their interest, and you know you can't complain about self interest when it's that stark a difference. It's the highest finish in their in their history, I think. And yeah, and you feel for Tranmere a little bit as well because they obviously, I think they're much changed team since January in the transfer window. And they're, I think they won three on three on the spin just before the shutdown. So then, yeah, like, they seem to be digging their way out slowly. Yeah, you would think that Definitely. they, you would. I think they were in a position where they were well placed to avoid relegation. So with that uncertainty, you kind of thought, although the margin of error calculation seemed convenient because oh look, it saves us from relegation. It actually, there is an there is a margin of error when you're predicting the future, isn't there? So yeah, um, yeah, Jack, what what do you think? You feel this is pretty fair? Yeah, I mean, I'm glad it's finally sorted, to be honest, because it's rumbled them for far too long. I know there's so many ramifications that, that Frosty's just outlined, but yeah, it's just kind of hanging over us, and yeah, just to get it done and dusted is great. But I mean, with Rovers being 14th, it, it didn't really matter to us. I mean, if we were just outside the playoffs, I'd be absolutely livid. Um, so just a massive well done to Ben Garner, really, for making sure we, we weren't. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad it's just finally sorted. I, I think it is 
it was the only workable solution, really. Because, um, yeah, I mean, teams playing on that were mid-table and with, with kind of contracts up in the air and the, the financial implications, it, it just wouldn't have been right. I mean, we, we got that far in into the season. Um, many are going to say it's unjust the ones that have missed out. But, yeah, it's, it's the only logical way. But, I mean, that, there's a part of me that, that would have liked to have just seen it happen just for the novelty factor. I know that kind of the rational thinking for Rovers and, and others is the, the financial implications of playing it. But if uh, with my VIP community radio pass, if I was able to get <laughs> along, and obviously I'm, I'm partisan, so I may have been the only Rovers fan in there giving it the arse myself. I would have been absolutely exhausted, but it would have been a, a novel experience. But yeah, I'm just glad we've got it done and dusted, training ground on the way, unlucky to shit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've seen like with the season ending where it is, we don't go into the kind of into the weeds with the contract situation because we've seen players like Lyle Taylor he d- he doesn't want to carry on. And from his point of view, you can completely understand it. You know, he's come from non-league; he's on the cusp of having probably the last big contract of his career, and he doesn't and want to ruin. You're that. talking about you're talking about mega money with Lyle Taylor as well. That's like yeah. different level. He's going from EFL money to sort of Europa League, Champions League money if he goes to Turkey. So it's like, it's a big, big jump. So you can understand that. Absolutely. Um, Will we look back at this season as a kind of what could have been? Because there was one of the um, suggested solutions was that you take the table once everyone has played each other once, which I think would have put us... Second, I think. Second. Second or third, I think, yeah. 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 Will we look back at this? Because we did say kind of January, well, just after January when, when kind of Coughlin went, kind of looked back at it and thought, do you know what? That was a pretty good chance to go up. Do you, do you reckon, Sam, that we'll, we will look back at this season as a kind of what could have been? I think you get to the point where Coughlin leaves, the, the win at Ipswich away, and Rovers have got an incredible platform then. You know, you, you couldn't be sort of better poised, I guess, rather unless you've run away from the beginning. But, you know, steadily started picking up form, getting these great results away from home. There's a great platform there. Um, and it is sort of immensely disappointing for everyone involved that it just sort of collapsed so feebly and so quickly. There's, you know, there wasn't even an element of sort of even enjoying the ride into into March or whatever, where, you know, oh, we've still got a chance of the playoffs or whatever. It, it, it's dead by sort of middle of January, you know. It's, um, so, of course, it's an opportunity missed. I think the, the argument I'd make that it's not, you know, sort of the golden chance missed is that a lot of Coughlin's football was unsustainable. The way they were playing, I think, was reliant a lot on sort of the most heroic defensive performances. You think about Ipswich and I think in the FA Cup game at Plymouth, it was just after that, but it's still the same team set up the same, set up the same way. That, you know, they were doing great to get great results, but they were relying on sort of getting the odd goal in games, um, Clark Harris getting something out of nothing. Obviously, there weren't goals coming from elsewhere in the team. You know, there wasn't a sustainable amount of chances being created. It was goals being nicked in games. So there's obviously a need for some some change, perhaps to be more productive and a more rounded team. But when you've got the platform you've got, where at half time on Boxing Day, you're second in the table and you end up finishing 14th, that is a massive chance, regardless. What do you think, Jack? 
Yeah, I, I feel like we've we've done it to to death really in that period when Hofflin does go and and we slide like dramatically. Um, I I think with the season ending now, um, I think it's it's good for Ghana really because uh, it was obviously abysmal the form we had and. As we've spoken about loads, we've been trying to go from one massive extreme in Coughlin ball and then trying to turn it into Ghana ball. And it, it wasn't going to happen over the course of half a season. Um, so, yeah, being able to have some time on, on the training ground, hopefully a training ground that is up to standard and a training ground that's going to have pretty much the same pitch as the MEM. And... We could all see that the personnel um, we had or we got isn't suited for what Ghana is trying to do. So I know it's obviously going to be a pretty turbulent and, and strange transfer market. But in a way, I think compared to other sides, it, it could be a good opportunity for Rovers because the way Ghana is trying to play and I think his philosophy is going to go and, and try and find younger talent. Um, so that maybe gives us a bit of leeway, picking up some free agents who have been released from championship, maybe Prem clubs and, and maybe the bigger clubs want to chip out a few on loan as well. So, so there's potential there. Um, and yeah, Certainly just, a, just a buyer's market this summer. Oh, sorry. It's mm. certainly a buyer's market this summer, um, which mm. yeah could help us. Do you think he's had enough time with the players that are here at the moment who are out of contract to say you're going to get another year, you're not kind of thing? Um, well, I, I think with a lot of the personnel, it, it's, they're just not going to quite work in his, his systems. I, I, I think even if we played the, the final games, I don't know if he would have learned that much more. And I mean, I, I know he, he's kind of been, he was on our radar, radar for a while before he got the job. And he, he's said he's studied a lot the the former games, so I, so I don't think he really needed to to see much more. So I, I think his mind is is pretty made up, to be honest. Yeah, I think a lot of the needs are quite glaringly obvious as well. I think that the, the team is not quick enough in general and lacking sort of dynamic play in midfield. So I think that you know if he wants to play his way, which is a possession game but also a good intensity, you know legs and creativity are needed and I think that he can see the players and that may be why where Liam Serkin kind of could you know like obviously we had the story the other day that may be where he can sort of fulfill the financials as well of it he's sort of turned 30 um, pr- productivity is declining he's not he's not quick his creativity has not been what it was in sort of the first season so you know I think he'll put a lot of weight to that sort of analysis and the numbers as well um, and this time, you know, this I've spoken to people, agents and stuff inside the game, saying that managers have used this time to do a lot of analysis, look into the numbers, try and do a more modern way of thinking. Um, and I think that would, you know, that would have actually been a big boost in terms of recruiting when you're trying to really sort of um, evolve a team and, and change the way it plays. Yeah, Martin Starnes in his um, in his statement that came out just like an hour ago or so um, said that the recruitment hasn't stopped game analysis mm. going on and on um do you think perversely having like a kind of deflated market will help Ghana in that 
you know, he can, it, people are going to be a lot more expecting it, uh, accepting if he just gets in a load of freeze and young kiddies on loan. Whereas previously, Rovers fans would want like a, a big name. I think there are a lot of good players available on free transfers now. I think that a lot of good players are going to be let go. So I think you, you are in, in this situation, you, you're wise to do your, the predominant, your dealings in the free agent market. You know, and I guess if you are going to pay fees for anyone, you are paying a, a lower fee than you would have in January last summer. So yeah, there isn't a, if you're looking to not necessarily rip up a team and start again, but if you're looking to dramatically change what you're doing, this is a good time to be doing it from a financial perspective at least. Yeah, I mean, we've seen the kind of way that Garner and, and the club kind of want to work in that we've seen new contracts for like Cam Hargreaves, Kelly, Alexis, you know, those kind of players, the younger players that can be developed rather than, um, yeah, like you said, the, the Liam Zirkham that you broke. Um, do we know, Sam, actually, um, any news on the retained list? I'm assuming that's going to be yeah. following so- pretty soon. Yeah, I've been sort of hunting that for a while. It, it should be this week. Um, yeah, I've been told by the club to expect something, hopefully by the end of the week. Um, and yeah, that'll be quite interesting because there are a lot of things up in the air. I mean, and a lot of decisions, I think, would probably have been influenced by the vote today as well. <laughs> if Rovers needed a team to play in a month's time, theoretically, then they probably would be more eager to hand out contracts to the players they've already got in the building to make sure they've got a team to finish those nine games um, yeah so I expect something by the end of the week on that front and uh, be interesting to see what's happening with the out of contract players yeah absolutely we'll be waiting with a uh, bated breath, breath for that one um, the both of you touched on the kind of financial side of it and it was part of Rover's thinking um, when I spoke to Kieran Maguire the price of football guy um, when the Rover's accounts came out um, he kind of estimated that the coronavirus kind of loss of income would be around about half a million pounds, which is massive for a club like us. Um, Mm -hmm. And Martin also uh, said that it would cost about half a million pounds just to finish the season. So if you put those together, it's just never going to work. Do you feel that the club are in a good position to cover this considering they've just laid out as well for the training ground, it kind of with the training ground, it seems like an odd time to funnel a ton of money in, when it's in the middle of a global pandemic and we're likely heading for a recession as well. That really yeah. threw the, me the training ground move. Did, did you get any intel from the, the club, Sam, about the, the timing of the training ground? Because, yeah, as, as Matt said, it, it did seem no, a strange one. Yeah, it caught us out of the blue as well. Obviously, we were aware that there was a bit of activity there, but it just looked like it was being used as a bit of a dumping ground. Um, yeah, that, that did, did catch off guard, but... I have had a bit of a think about it and there is an element of logic that perhaps, and this is just me speculating, but perhaps the club have been able to negotiate a lower build cost because contractors might be eager for work at this stage, you know, so they might think that this is the time to strike when the iron sort of pot, you know, like they might never get a chance to do it at this affordable level. And there was obviously a need necessitated by the end of the lease at Cribs. Um, I think it's in their interest to move to their own place. Absolutely. And this, they might've seen this as the right time to do it. Yeah, yeah, I suppose they may have more um, time and energy to put into it. I know there is probably a, a lot of planning around the potential ramifications of how the, the league finishes, but they must have known for quite a while this is the way that it was going to go. So, 
yeah, but potentially they, they could really kind of focus on the training grounds project and get and get that tied up. Got a, a, long, a longer window as well than you normally have in between seasons. Mm. That you know, that this season coming may not start until September, October. Who knows? You know, a lot of things are to be decided. So they've they've got. A, I know it seems like a quick turnaround, but to to have a good pitch there and some some basic facilities that will be equivalent equivalent to what they're using at Cribs already. In terms of the pitch, it would be obviously be a higher quality because it's been done with the same, by the same company that's done the men, which I think everyone knows is a very good surface. Yeah, and I suppose we don't know when the players are going to return to training, especially if the start of the next campaign is, is still up in the air. Yeah, so, it's I mean, a difficult one, isn't it? Uh, is, are the, the, the pitches going to be ready in time? I don't know how long it takes to get no, I, pitched yeah, down from I'm, the state the colony was in. Yeah, I think that that's a... I think that Starnes in his letter today said that it sort of will be ready for players in September. Okay. Um, so there must be some sort of contingency in the meantime for them to, to train if they need sort of, because they're going to need what, six weeks to a month before the season to uh, prepare. So there must be some sort of contingency in place for that. But just yet, they've not sort of confirmed that to us. That makes sense. Um, that kind of leads on nicely to the, the issue of season tickets. So season ticket holders have missed out on um, the end of this season and potentially might not be able to go to games until the new year. Um, Starnes did touch on it in his statement. Are you getting any inklings from the club, Sam, that they're going to be off uh, refund offers or anything like that? The plans for what's going to happen with them? I think in the statement he sort of mentions that there is a, there'll be news about sort of being able to reclaim tickets, stuff that's paid for already. Uh, I don't know if that's specifically for individual tickets or if there's sort of a, a nominal rate coming back for each game missed for season ticket holders. How many home games left? Four or five? I don't know. But um, yeah, I think that we'll get a lot of clarity. Now, sort of, this is now the uh, the starting pistol, I guess, for a lot of things, but hopefully some clarity. That's the, the main thing. So hopefully supporters will know within the next sort of week or two what's happening with their season tickets. And, Excellent. You know, what- I mean, the prospect of getting in, getting in the ground next season are as well. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine many people would go for a refund. I don't want to speak for all season ticket holders, but as you say, there's, there's not many home games left of what would have been this season, and it and it's obviously funds that the, the club vitally need, but so you can't bemoan anyone if they're struggling as well. I don't know, obviously. Families are really hit hard by this, especially people being laid off. But yeah, you would hope fans would be able to kind of uh, get around the club and support them as, as much as they can. I think, yeah, I think there'll be a balance, won't there? There'll be those ones that they need the money back in the current climate and there'll be others that, are, you know, they think that they've, they've obviously got that spare money around to think, oh, I'll just support my football club in a difficult time. Yeah, is there any news coming out of the um, the Premier League or the EFL round kind of financial help for clubs? I know they got a, a cash injection, well, an, an advance, wasn't it, on the... Um... On the yeah, TV money. money. Yeah. And there was another sort of 50 million as well that was uh, banded around earlier in this. I, I, to be honest, I've, I don't really, I think a lot has been focused on let's just figure out how we end things and then we'll look to the next step. So I don't know if there's any any plans in place, but I remember I think the from the EFL at least, I think that they were saying that 50 million is all you're going to get at the time. So it, it will be sort of probably necessitated by some, you know, I mean, obviously there was this talk there was a thing put to the government by an MP and a 
sort of 10 other MPs had signed it as well. They wanted to, the FA to set up some sort of finance authority, which then be, would be able to loan money through the government to clubs. Who knows if that's going to get any traction actually at government level. Um, yeah, but it, it, otherwise it would have to be some sort of like Premier League initiative where the clubs um, among themselves, the 20 Premier League clubs think we need to do something to look after the rest of the game. But you can't necessarily have much faith in that happening. Premier League clubs have got their own problems at the moment, I guess. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, there's kind of been kind of chit chat about um, taking this crisis as an opportunity to maybe reform the way that some clubs are run. Like you look at Bury running themselves into the ground, Bolton the same. Jack, I guess one of the things that I really like the sounds of is a salary cap. Mm. What, do you like the idea of that or is that mad? Well, considering Carl Bennett's on nearly four grand a week, <laughs> I think you've got to look at a salary cap. I mean, I say that I, I like Carl Bennett. I spoke yeah, to we've got to stop Carl Bennett. Is a, the... a few. I mean, he, he yeah. is the the classic example, though, isn't he? I mean, obviously, it's our mm. fault for giving him that that sort of wage. But yeah, kind of joke about it. But but there is a serious element to it, like wages are inflated I mean you've only got to look at our accounts you've listened to the Kieran Maguire episode we had and, and we're in a, in a right old state and there's clubs at our level that that are doing the same just trying to go for this dream of, of getting promotion and overstretching yourselves because because the thing with football you kind of you, you dream big sometimes and it's, it's not like a, a logical business is it you kind of think okay if we get a few star players we could get promoted and get get on that way but obviously there's only a limited number of promotion spots if you don't get in there or one of your star signings gets injured then you're screwed and and you've got Carl Bennett for another three years I'm sorry Carl um so yeah so so in answer to your question I think it's how cap would be great because it's it's just not sustainable. So if if we're going to do it any time, then this is the the time to do it. Um, so yes, it depends if there's there's will to to, to do so. Um, but yeah, I I would certainly advocate for it, and I think that the clubs have got to try and go for it as well, and and, and get round the table and and say, look, we, we're gonna there's going to be an, an, another bury around the corner if we don't get our houses in order it's a business that turns uh billionaires into millionaires isn't it you know football is inherently unsustainable with teams shooting for the moon striving for success when not everyone can succeed so um i think that this is time for a reset and if that is with some sort of fafl legislation that's a salary cap i mean i think that fans would rather have their you know their club spending cap but have a club to go to in 10 years time than not. Yeah, and I mean, if it's the same rule for everyone, then no one can just pump money in and hope to get promoted. <coughs> Sunderland. Um, so, speaking <laughs> of... You know, <laughs> <laughs> well, you look at Bolton as well, like the, the yeah. way Bolton had gone about their, their business, it's just, it's just horrible to, to see and it just kind of, yeah, it just leaves a real sour taste in your mouth and more importantly, it, it means someone could be without their their club which is like obviously horrible yeah i mean that even feeds into 
we could, I mean, we could talk all night about this, and I really mm-hmm. could easily. Um, the kind of fitting proper purposes test and all that. How someone like Steve Dale gets hold of a football club, but we'll we'll part that one for another time. Um, <laughs> speaking of winners, Coventry and Rotherham promoted. Um, I feel completely like they just deserve it. I think Coventry were one of the best teams I saw at the Mem this season. They were fantastic. Yeah, Coventry's football is outstanding. The midfield, they play quite a unique system, I think, of a sort of box-shaped midfield in the middle. Um, I know he's from down the road, but Liam Walsh was outstanding uh, in the games I saw, and they had some other great players as well, but attacking threats all over the park. Wing-backs that play with speed. Yeah, absolutely deserved champions. And Rotherham, a bit more functional, uh, much uh, less enjoyable to watch uh, in terms of their style of play but also immensely effective. They know exactly what they're good at. They've got power, they've got size, they get the ball in the box and they stick it in the back of the net. Jack, um, in the playoffs, it's Wickham, Oxford, Portsmouth and Fleetwood. Who who do you want to see go up out of those and who do you really not want to see go up? Uh, none of them is my answer, Mets. Um, yeah, you can pick four worst teams, really. Uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm, I'm not really that arsed, but um, definitely not Oxford going up. Definitely not Wickham going up. Yeah, Wickham, Wickham uh, can't go up. Get, just, the way they play. Get, just get Fleetwood up. Just get him no, out. No, not Joey get, Barton. Really? So we don't have to. I know that Joey, but, but I mean Joey oh. Barton in the the championship, he would ruffle some more feathers, and then we don't have to travel to fucking Fleetwood. I don't know. I'm going with Portsmouth. Frosty, yeah, Frosty, of... Frosty's voting for Fleetwood, so he doesn't have to traipse up there. <laughs> well, I, what was that on the 29th of December? That was a nice little journey. Ooh, that, one. Yeah. Yeah. that is yeah. absolutely disgusting. Yeah, I think if there's I, what I said about Wickham earlier, obviously great achievement to get where they are in the revised points per game table. But if there is any sort of footballing god out there, then it wouldn't let Gareth Ainsworth football play in the championships pretty disgraceful yeah. time wasting in gamesmanship so no one wants yeah. to see them up, really i mean it'd be yeah. a pain if rovers have to play them again next season but you know in terms of the actual best teams they're they're not in the, in the debate absolutely um for the teams that are relegated Tranmere, i think we've spoken about it maybe a bit hard done by south end have been absolutely dreadful fully deserved shambolically it. run club shambolically yeah, run absolutely terrible bolton until they came to the Mem, I thought they were awful, and then they turned us over, and the, they looked really good. And I was like, "Why? Why us? Why always do we just give bottom teams points?" But overall, they've no complaints, surely. From from those bottom three, no. I mean, uh, from from Bolton and Southend at least. Anyway, they they can't can't complain. Obviously, Bolton had their own problems with the uh, the previous ownership there, Mister Anderson, um, who. Yeah, another one that's done an absolutely terrible job running a football club and shouldn't be allowed near one again. I can't imagine if we'd want to go near one again necessarily after the way he was chased out of Bolton. Um, but yeah, the way... And obviously, it's not nice to see teams get points deductions, but there has to be some sort of penalty for being run that badly. Yeah, um, Yeah. so I think... yeah, they, Bolton and Southend can't have any complaints. Like I said, Tranmere, you kind of do feel a little bit for them. But they are in the bottom three. Weren't good enough from what I saw and, and any um team that I've got has it got Stefan Payne deserves to go down. <laughs> Absolutely. I've I've seen a few uh memes flying around. Quite yeah. glad that he's he's relegated. No love loss for him. Um of the teams coming up, so Swindon, Argyle, fantastic stuff, local yeah. derbies. Um 
crew, not too far away, not the end of the world. But the playoffs is where it gets interested, interesting because we've got Cheltenham versus Northampton and Exeter versus Colchester. So potentially Cheltenham, potentially Ryan Broom back. Who who you who do you react, who would you want, Jack, out of those four? Um, well, be, the best away day, really, isn't it? So Cheltenham, I would say, but then obviously Exeter, another Southwest club. I'd, I'd be happy with that. Um, I mean, he, but even the likes of Northampton with Chris Lyons, Chris Lyons coming back to the the Mem would be good. The only one that I really wouldn't want up is Colchester, really, because it's just a bit of a bit of a naff stadium and quite far away, and just a bit of a I don't know. I've never, never really warmed to, to Colchester. They seem a bit bit nothing. But Chel- yeah, th- yeah, Cheltenham would be my definite go-to. The other three games have an element of edge to it, don't they, for different reasons. Obviously, you mm. know, Lions coming back, that'd be great for him to sort of have that moment. And the other two being relatively local, whereas it's hard to get enthused about a trip to Colchester, which you end up getting drawn on a Tuesday night or whatever, yeah. <laughs> inevitably. Yeah, always. Um, well, I think that's about all we've got time for, I'm afraid. Um, just leaves me to say... Check out the uh, the Ellington interview that you did, Duke. Duke on Duke. Or um, Duke on Duke action. Yeah, Glorious. that was nearly two hours worth. Yeah, double Duke. I mean, double as Duke. as someone who grew up watching Nathan play, to to hear his stories for nearly two hours was phenomenal, and he was in really candid form. We really went round the the houses, and um, it's been well documented about his conversion to. Islam um, and kind of the relationship between um, being Islamic and being a professional footballer was was incredibly fascinating. So yeah, if I do say so myself, well worth it. <laughs> Not blowing your own trumpet. And Sam, uh-huh. you had an interview with Richard Walker yeah, this was, week. Yeah, yeah. For some reason, sort of. Um, Spoken much, I guess, publicly over the past few years since leaving Rovers and stuff. I was expecting, you know, him not to be um, the most open, I guess, for that because I've heard that he was not necessarily a big fan of the limelight. But he spoke so well, brilliant conversation with him for more than an hour, and what a lovely, lovely guy. Great sort of stories to tell, um, and yeah, I'd recommend anyone that's uh, looking for a bit of sort of uh, happier times to go back and read about. Richard Walker and his memories of, sort of 2007, but also sort of the uh, the difficult times and the way he left. And I will be writing a story on this, but um, I'll give it away now that I think that Richard Walker absolutely deserves to be uh, a guest at the Mem this season. He said that he's sort of stopping playing. So, you know, you, every now and then you see ex-pros come on the pitch and stuff, but Richard Walker has to absolutely has to be one of them that gets that sort of 10 minutes on the pitch at halftime, getting interviewed by Lance or whatever, and uh, getting that chance to give the fans a wave and stuff, which he never got when he left in 2008. Yeah, which was yeah, covered in your article. It was really good. I really enjoyed it. And it was interesting that he said that Sammy Igo, no one's heard from him. Yeah, well, I tried to I tried to get hold of Sammy and yeah, I had the same success with that one. So uh, yeah, I hope, hopefully someone is able to get hold of Sammy Igo because obviously absolute hero of that day. And if you know, it's a shame that lads that he played with haven't been able to get hold of him because they've obviously all got great memories they made together. There we go. We'll put that one out to uh, everyone who's listening. If you know Samiago, or you've got a mate who knows Samiago, where <laughs> yeah. is he? We'll find it. Get him on your, get him on your milk cartons. Yeah, you've got, <laughs> you got, you got to look quite low with uh, Sammy, haven't you? 
Well, he's never going to want to be found now, is he? <laughs> Slagging him off. <laughs> um, well, that's it. That's all we've got time for. So, um, yeah, thanks, thanks, chaps, and uh, up the gas. Up the gas. Cheers, guys. Thank you.